Welcome to a startup edition of Canton Bound, the NFL half of our Campus to Canton podcast. As always, I'm Colin. And I am Austin. And we always like to talk a little bit, um, you know, before the show, as you guys know, and I know we talked about this before, but we're going to revisit the beer conversation here because I just got this one uh, from the distributor today that the guy recommended that's really good. Uh, It's called Gumball Head. Um, it's by three Floyds. It's a wheat beer. Uh, it's really good. The guy said it won some sort of an award. Um, I haven't looked into it yet cause I literally just got it like 15, 20 minutes ago. Um, but yeah, no, it's really good so far. So, uh, it's a wheat beer though. So Austin, are you a wheat, wheat beer guy? Yeah, that's how, um, I really started drinking beer. Um, it's actually like a, a fun story. I didn't, I, um, I liked beer and then like the second time I drank it, um, like my first weekend at college, I just got like obliterated on it and, <laughs> and, uh, it may have come back up and, uh, then I didn't want to drink beer anymore. And I went like a whole year almost without really drinking any beer. And then, you know, I went to Germany and spent a summer there right? Uh, or not a summer, like a month there. Um, with actually we had a, we had a fourth roommate, uh, my sophomore year that was from Germany and his family owned a big company over there. And, and he invited me to come stay with him and work with his family and stuff. So I went over and worked with him and stayed in his house and he lived um like lavishly but like you know not at the same time it was honestly just really cool um living with him and working you know paid off my whole trip but the crux of the story was that that like they all they drink is beer over there like they don't even drink like they drink like nothing else like you go to the grocery store and there's like two bottles of like fanta on the shelf (laughs) and then it's just water and beer and you're like (laughs) Whoever gets there first that morning and grabs the Fanta is like a lucky person for the day. <laughs> I love um, that you brought up Fanta because I spent a weekend in Berlin and we were at a hostel and like we had, we were like looking for a mixer or whatever. And Fanta was the only thing we could find. Yeah. So we had to use Fanta as a mixer. You're not, so you're not lying. It's no. so weird that Fanta no. is like the only other thing other than beer you could find over there. Yeah, it's more popular than like Coke and all that stuff. Like Coke outpaces, like it's a Coke product, but it, it like outpaces all the other Coke offerings over in like I think all across Europe. I think that's pretty common. Um, but so I wheat beer was like the was like the most the uh, um, you know uh, least severe tasting, I guess. Because the other thing they do with beer over there is they just like well, hey, their refrigerators aren't as cold as ours. Yeah, like it's very very weird. Like they drink things a lot more room temperature and eat things a lot more room temperature. Um, so you would just been drinking like warm beer. And I was like, well, okay, if I'm going to get through this. So I, I drank wheat beer the whole, basically my whole trip there. Um, nice. So that kind of got me, got me back on the horse, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I really like wheat beer. Is that your, you're, you're a stout guy though, usually, right? Yeah. Like I said, if I'm having like one or two, um, you know, keeping it casual, I'll go with uh, a stout typically, but I do like to mix it up. I like to do like some wheat beers there. Um, I forgot that you you had gone over there to Germany though. What what part of Germany were you in when you were over there? They're close to Munich, right? Yeah, we were an hour or so outside of Munich. We were in Bavaria. Um, we right. actually went to Munich for one weekend and stayed there. His his uh, one of his family members had like a, a flat in the city, and we went to a club and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but he lived out in like the countryside. It's like a quaint Disney movie, you know. It's like all <laughs> cobblestones and shit, and you know, like the you know you drive through town and like you know the the blacksmith and like everything are out front and they're like, hello, hey, Nick, where's it going? <laughs> uh, 
It literally is like a Disney movie. It was the coolest thing ever. I would I would gladly go back there. My wife and I always talk about moving over there for a few years just to oh. say we did it. Yeah. Interesting. So like legitimately moving over there, not even like a vacation? Yeah, like two or three years, you know, just going right, over. Right. And, Something small, know. but still. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, with everybody being able to work remotely now, like I think it's more of a possibility. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I only I didn't spend a lot of time in Europe. Um, I just it was just a short four week study abroad thing and then traveled around an extra week. But I really want to go back there, too. Yeah, we actually were saving. I know we were like totally going off of like whatever Way off the rails before I got married a couple years ago. Um, we were saving to go on a trip to Germany and all and um, like visit all like the Trappist monasteries there that do the Trappist ales. There's like 12 of them or something. And we were going to like, you know, spend three weeks like traveling between all of them. Then all that money went toward the wedding. So <laughs> still on the bucket list. But uh, we have we have not made it across yet to do that. Interesting. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, we did get pretty far off the rails there a little bit, but that's fine. It's just our small talk section. It was only five um, minutes. I mean, it could have been yeah. a lot worse. I expected to look up and it'd be like 12 and be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, nah, we'll be all right. Uh, and we'll, we'll just we'll use that as a transition into our news segment here. Um, and this is this week uh, teams could start uh, franchise tagging players. Uh, the window opened, and I believe they have until the uh, middle of March think it uh, and i had the note here and then i lost it i think it's the 16th um but either way um you know franchise tags can be applied now and there's some bigger name guys out there that are looking potentially like they're tagged options and the first one is dak um you know that's the one that everybody is thinking about when they're thinking the franchise tag um and with the quarterback tag being projected to be at 24.1 mil, according to overthecap.com, and Dak's market value uh, being projected at 36.8 million, according to Spotrack. Spotrack or Spotrack? I'm not sure how you say that one. Um, and that the 36.8 million is just behind Mahomes and Watson. That's it. So I think that that's looking like a bargain for the Cowboys to tag him. So I really think that he is, I think there's a very high chance that he gets tagged. What, what are, what are your thoughts on that one, Austin? So I just like, well, there's a little private chat on here, like uh, on StreamYard <laughs> here. And I literally just messaged call and I was like, did you mean to say 34? He's like, no, 24. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Um, Dak, uh, they can tag him. There, there is no way that Dak is going to play on 24 million. Let's be honest, right? Can you see him doing that at that far below his market value? There's no way. No, I would. Yeah, that would really surprise me if he did. But it's a no-brainer for the Cowboys to 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 tag him at that. And I'm looking it up here right now as well. Sporting News also confirms that the franchise tag for QB is 24.1 mil. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much a no-brainer for for the Cowboys to tag him. So. Let's assume that the Cowboys do tag him. You know, what are your thoughts there on him fantasy wise? Is is that something that helps? Is it something that hurts? Well, I mean, they're going to have to agree to another contract before that. There, like I said, there's zero chance that he actually plays football for twenty four million dollars. Um, he's just like you just said, his his market value is worth like ten million dollars more than that. You know, or it's more than that. You know, it's not. It's not even in the ballpark. Like that's shockingly, shockingly low. Um, 
but for fantasy, I mean, I do hope he stays there. I think Dallas, you know, I, the part of that offense is that Dak probably made it a little bit. I mean, I think it would be hard to argue against that after watching them just kind of implode last year. I know there were other injuries beyond just Dak getting hurt, but with how, um, you know, he's able to move around in the pocket, how mobile he is, how he can make things happen, you know, extend plays, I think he his value like he stood that offense still would have been good with all the o-line injuries i think maybe not quite as good but it still would have been a strong offense you know a top five seven uh, fantasy offense at least so yeah i mean i think that you hope that he stays there because i think the situation is good for him um and i you hope that he stays there for all of the other guys there too you know, I think that Amari Cooper is more or less um, QB proof at this point. You know, I think he's proven that throughout most of his career. At worst, he'll be like, you know, wide receiver 18 or something if he plays a whole year with Andy Dalton. Or, you know, I think Dalton's a free agent, but whoever they would they would plug in next year if Dak were to leave. And I think that Zeke would probably still be effective if Dak were to leave. But, you know, I think that would nerf Gallup. I think it would nerf um, CeeDee Lamb. Um, you know, the tight ends probably would not be as prolific. So, um, you know, I think Dak will be fine wherever he goes, but I think, you know, the supporting pieces, some of them might struggle um, w- without him there. Yeah, I'm completely with you there. And I mean, we'll get into to it a little bit later in the show too, but uh, I have Dak as my QB three. So uh, I'm, I'm wheels up on Dak. I, I like Dak a lot. I think he is, I mean, we saw he was on a prolific pace at the beginning of this year. Um, and a points per game basis, he was the QB one throughout the whole year by, by a decent margin. Um, and I think that obviously, you know, small sample size and it'll come back down to earth a little bit because he did play some bad defenses, but good offenses there. And those some of those early matchups, like when he played the Falcons. So I think that, Dak is if Dak stays there in Dallas he's going to stay as my QB3 and then it's kind of what everybody's expecting right now is that he stays there um you know if he leaves he may drop a couple spots but I am a big fan of Dak um and then like you said too um you know Dak is the tide that raises all ships there um you know he keeps everybody else at a very nice level so that's great for the entire offense as a whole so I'm I'm pretty high on Dak either way, but I think it best for his fantasy value to stick around there. And this will move into our next couple guys here. They're all wide receivers. And the first guy we'll talk about is a Rob. Um, now a Rob is, uh, I mentioned the uh, market value. Spotrack calculates his market value at $20 million per year. Um, and that puts him right there with guys like Michael Thomas at $19.25 million a year, um, Amari Cooper at $20 million a year, even Keenan Allen also right there at 22 or at 20 million in salary. Uh, that would put him just behind uh, DeAndre Hopkins at 27.25 mil and Julio, who is at uh, 22 million salary. He'd only be $2 million behind him. Um, and the wide receiver tag is projected at 16.4 million by over the cap. So, you know, that's pretty significantly under his market value. And uh, like I said, that's 3.6 million under his market value there. So I think that with the bears and a Rob, 
you know, for a guy who's 27, still in his prime, I think unless they're going to hit the reset button, which is unlikely given that they retained Nagy and Pace, I think they tag A-Rob. I mean, who else do they have there at wide receiver? You know, and then obviously there's a pretty significant impact on him if he sticks around there because who is going to be their quarterback? Um, I think they bring Trubisky back, but I think that's far from certain. Um, so Austin, assuming that a Rob gets tagged by the bears, um, what are your thoughts on his fantasy impact there? I know you have some pretty strong a Rob thoughts. Yeah, I really, really like a Rob, um, which I mean, I don't, there's not a lot of Penn state guys that I really like. Um, but he hasn't talked about it too much. He hasn't rubbed it in my <laughs> face. So, um, as long as he doesn't do that, I guess we're cool. Um, I, I think that, I think that it's another Dak situation where I think that offense needs him more than he needs them. You know, I would, I think wherever he goes, I mean, he's shown that wherever he goes, he's going to produce. Um, and his floor is like, you know, wide receiver 13, 14, if he's healthy, he's not going to really finish much worse than that. Um, I think, I do think though, that the regardless, they need to draft another receiver this year. It's a really good year to do it. And you have a Rob and you have Mooney. And then, you know, Anthony Miller is, is okay. I thought Anthony, I liked Anthony Miller more than I did until I sat down and did my rankings recently. And then I was like, wow, I guess I really don't like Anthony Miller that much because I just, I have him um, really, really low. I'm looking real quick here to see where exactly I have him. But um, regardless, you have him there at uh, 78 and the ranking sheet sorted by mine. So I was able to see that pretty easily. Um, I have him at 86. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, if you look at some of the names around them, like, again, that sounds low, but then like I have AJ green 76, you know, James Washington, a little lower than him. Um, you know, Tyler Johnson, Michael Hardman. Like, I don't think he's, you know, much better than any of those guys, but going back to a Rob, um, you know, I think that the tag would be smart on, on the bears part. And I think he'd be smart to accept, stay there for a year see what happens, you know, give them one more chance to kind of get that straightened out. And if they don't, then sayonara. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if he gets tagged, he doesn't have a ton of choice. Like, I don't think that's, it's not like Dak where that tag is projected to be like $12 million below his market value. Um, you know, with the tag being 16.4 million and his value being calculated at 20 million a year. Um, it's lower than that, but it's not significantly lower than that, where I think he would be a risk to hold out or anything. So I think he gets tagged. I think he sticks around there. And I think that's unfortunate for his fantasy value because I have him at 18 overall, um, just ahead of Keenan Allen, um, just behind some of these incoming rookies in Rondale Moore, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, right there in that cluster. Um, but if he would go somewhere else, he would definitely climb in my rankings. So I think that's kind of a, I think it hurts his fantasy value to stick around there. It probably, I mean, it probably hurts a little bit, but at the same time, you know, what, what is another good place he could go to this year with the cap being so restricted? Like, are there, is there a good team with a good quarterback and a good situation that he could go to that would pay him right away? You know, I like, I can't really think of that many off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't really either. I mean, Indy is going to be the name that everybody throws around. Um, and, I mean, say whatever you want about Wentz. I still think Wentz is pretty easily the best quarterback A-Rap would have had in his entire career. Um, I think that's – I don't think you'd get a lot of pushback saying that. Um, so and maybe in Indy, um, 
you know, I, there's not really any other place that really stands out off the top of my head either there. So I think he'll probably stick around with the Bears and he'll be fine. It's just depressing for a Penn State fan to see A-Rob's career kind of get wasted. Yeah, I'm sorry, Colin. Do you need a tissue? No, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. used to it. As a Penn State fan, I'm used to it. Oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll move into, we'll move into the next guy here and, uh, we'll just transition right into the next Penn state guy. Uh, and that'll be Godwin. And that's a guy that we talked a little bit about before. Um, like I said, Spotrack puts his market value at 17.1 million a year. So just slightly over what a Rob's, uh, or just slightly under what a Rob's is and just slightly over what the tag is. Um, but he is only 24. So he's the youngest of these wide receivers that are kind of potentially looking at the tag. And if he gets tagged, he is going to make slightly less than what Mike Evans would make. Uh, Mike Evans is 16.5 million a year and he would be at 16.4. So I think that that makes the bucks happy that they would keep them right at the same level. You're not really saying oh, we value Godwin more than Evans. Cause I think that could upset Evans, but you're not, undervaluing Godwin too much there. So I've been saying the whole time, I do think Godwin uh, comes back. So I think that it just makes sense for them to tag him and give it one last run with Brady. And then when you start to look at it fantasy impact wise, I think this is very good for him to stick around and have Brady for one more year and then potentially get to test free agency the year after that. Yeah, I think um, I I think I've always I've been saying, you know, you've said that he's going to stay and I said that I think he's going to leave. But I do think that, um, you know, reading the tea leaves that I do think he goes back there at least for another year, um, maybe on the tag, like you said. Um, but this this offseason is such it's just a tough one for some of these guys to move in. Um, but I do think Godwin, if a team needs like, you know, if Jacksonville wants to sign another receiver or New York wants to sign another receiver. They are the kind of team that has the money. And I think Godwin is the kind of profile where he's a young, versatile, safe player that, you know, he would be the guy if I was Jacksonville and I wanted to sign somebody that I would go get. And obviously Allen Robinson would probably be my first choice, really, but he's off the table because he already played there. And I don't think yeah. he'd want to go back there again. Um, you know, that's pretty rare to see a, a player do that. So that that would be the situation that I could see. Godwin being allured away from and I'm not gonna I'm gonna be honest like I think Tom Brady likes him and I think he did okay in that offense last year but I don't love him for next year if he's with Tampa again because I don't think they're just gonna bring him back like I think they're really gonna try to get the band back together as much as they possibly can you know whether that you know uh, I know they have like a whole stable of tight ends they have a b they have to work you know figure out what they're gonna do with him you have Evans you have Tyler Johnson who seems like and that's this is the thing I feel like Tyler Johnson is like the ready-made replacement for Chris Godwin. I think they already have that in house. We know they have a lot of free agents, you know, at some point a tough decision has to be made. Um, so maybe I just talked to myself out of what I talked to myself into the first 30 <laughs> seconds of this. And now maybe, maybe he's not going back. In. Yeah. I mean, I think the real wild card there is how, how they feel about Tyler Johnson, because like you said, he kind of is the ready-made replace. Still think they, I still think they tag Godwin. So I, and I think that's fine for his fantasy value. I don't love it. I have him as my wide receiver six right now. And maybe that drops him a spot or two, but it's not going to significantly impact it for me. Yeah, I think he's just so young. Like, it feels like he's been around forever and he's still only 25. So I think he still has, you know, quite a few years left 
uh, to rebound whatever value maybe you miss out on this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's it'll be okay there still. Um, and, and we've beaten Godwin to death this offseason here, and uh, so we'll move on here to the next guy, and that is uh, Kenny Galladay. Um, Kenny Galladay and the Lions there. That's just a s- tough situation because um, they're kind of hitting the reset button, but they don't have any other wide receivers there. And if they don't bring him back, they're kind of setting up golf to fail, not having any wide receivers there. So, you know, but why would you trade for golf in that contract if you're going to set him up for failure? And I know the main point of the trade was those draft picks, but you still traded for golf. You're not going to be able to get rid of him this year with that contract. So you, you're traded with him for the idea of giving him a test drive. And why are you going to test drive with an anchor on the back? You know, you're not going to see the performance there. If he has no wide receivers to throw the ball to, um, Spotrack puts his market value at $17 million a year, uh, which spread around the Robert Woods, Mike Evans, um, Tyreek Hills at 18, OBJ's at 18. So it puts him in that ballpark there, which I think is fine. Um, so I think that the Lions will probably end up tagging him as well. And I think that's better for his fantasy value. Um, I think him sticking around in, in Detroit uh, is going to keep him at a very nice, safe uh, level there. And he's a little bit lower for me than you know what you might think. I have him ranked as my wide receiver 29. If he sticks around there, I could see him jumping maybe a spot or two, but there's just so many other wide receivers at that level there that I like just as much. Um, but if he leaves Detroit, I think his value is going to plummet. I I don't know what to make of Kenny Galladay. I only have him in one league, and that's I, like I'm not going out to look for him anywhere. Because um, I do agree with you that you know why would you bring Goff in and and literally have nothing else there. At the same time, you know, with all these picks and stuff, and this is such a deep wide receiver draft, I it would like this is this is the kind of draft where if you're empty at that position, you just go take three of them. You know, you take one in the first, you take one in the third, and you take another one in like the seventh or so, you know, just like a developmental guy late, and you see what, what becomes of any of those guys. That it just feels like that one of those kinds of drafts to me. Um, but I mean, the, the cover's not totally bare there. I really think they only need one wide receiver. Because you have Hawkinson, you have Swift, and they're both plus pass catchers at their sure. positions. So you really only need like one, you know, let's say a wide receiver two type kind of guy. Um, and you really then like if you got like a, you know, like a Robert Woods or, you know, like a Tyler Boyd, like a guy that's not a blatant alpha. And then you just get a field stretch guy. Then I think you're set. You know, you've got four, you know, dynamic diff- different guys that kind of you can piece together uh, at, at the pass catching positions there and be happy with that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, they don't, with how good of receivers Hawkinson and Swift are, you're you're right. They probably don't really need an alpha wide receiver. And while Galladay profiles as an alpha wide receiver, um, I mean, I think he's good for that offense because he gives them a little bit of a bigger body guy. He can doesn't necessarily stretch the field great, but he's still a solid vertical receiver. So I think that adds a dimension to the offense there. Um, cause Hawkinson's not really like a seam buster. He's not like Noah Fant is on that front. Um, he's a lot more, you know, underneath stuff. He could do some catch and run kind of stuff. He's a little bit more in the George Kittle mold. Um, so I, I think you're right. You got a good point there with that, but I, I do think if he goes, 
anywhere other than Detroit, it's going to impact him for a good bit in my rankings. Um, but we'll um, we'll move on to um, a slightly different topic here, and that'll be just a running back. And the only real running back of importance that I could think of was Aaron Jones. And uh, running back tag is projected at $11.1 million according to Over the Cap. And Spotrack projects Aaron Jones' market value at $14.7 million a year. And that surprises me a little bit, given the value that everybody kind of sees these running backs at right now. Like, nobody's really valuing second contract guys that highly, unless they're Christian McCaffrey. Even, you know, Derrick Henry, too. Um, but beyond that, like they, they, we've seen that the running back value take a pretty massive dip. So I think the running back tag is being buoyed a little bit by some of those higher end guys. Um, I think that Green Bay will want to resign him. You know, I, I don't think there's any reason that they wouldn't want to bring him back, but I think he's going to want too much money. And I think they drafted A.J. Dillon last year for a reason. And that'll be to kind of take over that backfield. And, you know, because Jamal Williams is also going to be a free agent. So those guys are both going to probably leave in free agency. But I think if anybody comes back, it'll probably be Jamal Williams because his market's not going to be nearly as hot as Aaron Jones's. But even if Aaron Jones's market is a little bit hotter, I don't know. I, I just I have a hard time seeing Green Bay paying up for a running back there. No, if they're smart, they let him go. They got some guys in house. Um, there were those rumors this week that he want that Miami kind of is interested. And I think that would be a fun spot for him, you know, just an offense that needs a little more speed. Um, and they have like a young upcoming line. So I think that would just be a fun spot and they have the money where, you know, that you can offer him, you know, a higher uh, APV for, uh, for, you know, three years, you know, you can say, we'll give you, you know, 12 or 13 or whatever for three years. And then he's happy. They're happy. Um, and I think that would kind of be a, a fun problem or a fun solution to that problem. Yeah. I mean, I think signing in Miami would see his value take a little bit of a dip compared to where it is in green Bay, but I, I don't think that's, I don't think it's a bad landing spot at all. I think that's, you know, maybe he drops a spot or two in the rankings in my rankings, which I mean, right now I have him at nine. So maybe I would move Sanders, maybe Henry above him. Gibson would be kind of be right at that cutoff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think he would fall very far. I think he would still maintain that RB1 value in Miami. Um, and then when you look back at Green Bay, you know, I think that's a great place for one of these good, solid, cheap, pass-catching complement backs. Guys like James White, who's also going to be a free agent. Theo Riddick will be a free agent. Um, Jarek McKinnon. Maybe even a guy like Philip Lindsay, who could carry a little bit of the load if you're not 100% sold on A.J. Dillon. Um, so I think that's probably more the caliber of back you're looking at going there if they bring anybody in in free agency. Yeah, um, I yeah, I, I don't um, I don't necessarily like to um, be in the business of making moves in the off season, either with the assumption or in the hope, you know, even worse than in the assumption, in the hope that a guy goes somewhere or a guy leaves and something happens. So I'm not. Honestly, like of all those guys, <clears throat> I'm not really buying any of them until I find out where they're going. You know, maybe I um, miss out on a little bit of a window, but um, I, I'm just a very risk averse person. You know, I don't want to be left holding the bag, even if it's, you know, not a terribly you know big one at the end of the day. So um, I, I just won't touch any of those guys until I find a landing spot. 
Yeah, I'm kind of with you there too. I'm I tend to I do tend to be more risk averse as well, but I will tend to move off of a guy in free agency if I don't necessarily if I'm unsure of where he's going to go or if I'm unsure of you know once he goes somewhere if I'm unsure about his landing spot I'll move off of a guy. I would rather like you said I don't want to be left holding the bag so I would rather hand that bag to somebody else. And that's worked it sometimes and it's also backfired like backfired last year for me. Uh I did move um Stefan Diggs. You know when he moved to when he went to uh Buffalo, I was a little bit worried about how he was going to work in that offense. I still wasn't really sold on uh Josh Allen and that came back and it bit me in the ass because you know Stefan Diggs had a fantastic year. You know, he's inside he's very comfortably inside my top 10 fantasy wide receivers. I have him at eight right now. Um, and I moved him for, it was Allen Robinson and I think it was like a late second that I moved him for, which I was very, very happy with at the time. Um, I think that second turned into Anthony McFarland. Um, so I don't think I lost a ton of value there. Like I'm, I'm not upset about it as much, but I definitely lost value and I definitely missed on that because of the risk adverse tendencies that I have. Yeah. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll move off of the franchise tag here. The only other newsworthy note that we have is um, the possibility of Ben retiring or leaving or like having to work his contract out, and you know then that causing maybe Juju to potentially stay in Pittsburgh. And this is something that you know you know a little bit more about than I do here, you know, just being in Pittsburgh and being a Pittsburgh fan. So uh, what are people saying about this possibility? It really depends who you talk to. The Pittsburgh fan base is really, really weird. Um, in the sense that it's like, really, it, it really depends where you are and like, and what people think. What if you're in um, South side, they're saying one thing If they're in squirrel Hill they're saying like, another. if you're in the city versus if you're in like, the surrounding Appalachia area is really the difference. Um, <laughs> it, it's a really, really, really big difference. Um, and that's why, you know, Pittsburgh sports talk radio really only caters to like 50% of the population. But you know, those, those 50% of like the really um, without being too denigrating to some of my fellow Steelers fans, not very smart people to live out in the middle of nowhere and just are, you know, they would. They never wanted us to hire Mike Tomlin, and I can let you guess as to why they didn't want us to hire Mike Tomlin. Like it's just that portion of the fan base. Uh, but if you're in the city and you talk to people, it tends to be much more level-headed. Um, I think. I think at least uh, you know the circles I run in. Um, you know, most of my friends and and family and all that are also Steelers fans here, and they like. I think there's a very uh, there's a big uh, kind of accepted thought that you know we appreciate what ben has done as a quarterback for the pittsburgh steelers but most people don't like him like as a person at all <laughs> like i'm sad when he retires just because it means we're gonna suck like it's not because it's like you know when jerome bettis retired i was sad because i love jerome bettis and um you know there, there's a there's been guy like if juju leaves this offseason i'll be sad because i love juju if ben retires i'll just be sad because i'm like oh no we're gonna be bad i don't <laughs> i don't want that um, because Ben is just not a very nice person or at least hasn't been, and he's never really embraced the city. Um, like a lot of other Steelers guys have, you know, I think part of that is probably the, 
the whole legal situation. And I think he just kind of roped himself off from society, you know, from, you know, the locality at large uh, because of that. So um, I, and, and with how he played last year, I think it just makes the decision that much easier for a lot of us, you know, at least before like he was playing well. So you're like, well, you know, he kind of is an asshole, but we can't get rid of him because he's really, really good quarterback. And now, I mean, he didn't look very good last year. He's admitted that his knees are arthritic. Like, I don't think it's his arm actually that's, that's, um, messing with him i think he just can't he can't move um like i think he can't step into throws and stuff because his knees are just so bad so i think it's time for him to be done um and i don't necessarily think the offense would be that much worse off like it will be worse off and we saw what happened two years ago without him um but it's not like his physical you know whatever anymore it's just because he was he's so much smarter than you know a mason rudolph or a Dwayne haskins or a duck or whoever we put back there um, I honestly like wouldn't even be upset if we just kind of sold the farm and went and moved up for a quarterback this year, whichever one our front office wants. Cause I trust them. You know, I, I trust Kevin Colbert pretty much uh, with, with any decision he makes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, it's with, with his track record and with the history of success there in Pittsburgh at his time there. I mean, I think it's a reasonable thing to, to trust him. I think he's earned that for sure. Um, I would feel good about whoever he decides to bring in, um, you know, if he brings Ben back, you know, if they restructure that contract, bring him back. Like, it sounds like the Rooney family kind of wants to go that route. It feels like they maybe not necessarily owe, feel they owe him something, but they want to keep that tie there. And, you know, I, I think that they feel like he's earned another year. So if they can restructure it, it seems like the Rooney's kind of want to go that route, at least from everything that I've been seeing. And if he sticks around, it sounds like that's probably spells the end for Juju. Is that right? Uh, I money wise, probably. I mean, there's there's a little bit of tinkering you have to do. And the th- the thing about the Steelers is, like, as a fan, like I'm always like, well, you know, we've kicked the can. Like I, I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, we've kicked the can down the road far enough. Like it's time, you know, it, it the time has arrived. We have to have a bad year and kind of like that. I think we just soft reset and then you move forward. I don't think the Steelers are going to do that. I don't think they want to do that. I think they're, they are always, you know, even the year where Ben was out, you know, they went out and got uh, Minka. Like they, yeah. they are always thinking about how can we improve this team? You know, they never, you would never, ever, I think, I think you would have to take that, t- that team away from the Roonies before you'd ever see the Steelers tank. I just don't think it's, it's something that they'll ever do. So they'll try to compete. And if that means that they think that Ben can do it, then they'll bring Ben back. If they don't think that, then they will make a decision. Um, and it don't it wouldn't shock me because they've gotten a little more brazen over the past couple of years if they make a bold move to to fill that those that those shoes. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a really good point. Uh, but you know, with him probably money wise spelling the end of Juju there, um, you know, I think that that's going to hurt his fantasy value a little bit depending on where he goes, but especially if it kind of sounds like he's going to want to go to a bigger market from what a lot of people have been saying. So maybe you're now looking at like the Jets or Miami. If he goes to Miami, I would actually think I would really like that with Tua. I think his skill set would fit very well there. Um, you know, But he is also is from out West too. So now you got to start looking at some of those teams out there. And there isn't really any that jump out at me, like right off the top of my head. Is there anybody out west that you would want to see him go with? No, I don't think he meshes up well with any of those big West Coast teams. You know, I, I think that he's redundant with Keenan Allen a little bit with the Chargers. I think, 
you know, he's redundant a little bit with Darren Waller with the Raiders, you know, maybe not the red zone stuff, but, um, you know, just working that intermediate kind of stuff is his bread and butter. I think there's, there's a lot of overlap there. Um, you know, the Rams have cup and the woods who both fill that role. Um, you know, the, and the Ford Niners, you know, they like the intermediate game is like King. They have, all they have is guys that can work the intermediate game. And then after that, you know, you're starting to get into like Arizona who probably doesn't want to pay another wide receiver, Seattle, who's already up against the cap. You know, there's, there really is no, um, you know, a spot out West that I think is a, a decent marriage, you know, where it, it makes sense for both sides. I think the furthest West West that would make the most sense would be like Houston. Um, cause they don't really have a guy like that either. They have cooks there still. who's going to be kind of the more field stretcher role. Uh, but I mean, is he going to want to go to Houston with that mess right now? I doubt that. Uh, so his fantasy situation is definitely going to be one to monitor. It's definitely going to be one to be interesting. Uh, but we'll move here into the, into the meat of the show, which I say that, and we spent 37 minutes talking about beer and franchise tags. Um, we'll move into the meat of the show here and everybody is, you're kind of seeing some chatter on Twitter and people are trying to join some leagues and this is, uh, you know, it's startup season right now. Uh, everybody is, you know, everybody wants to get into a league right now. They want to do a startup draft. They're kind of getting that itch to join another league. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit of strategies here on this one and with startups, you know, kicking it a full swing here. You don't see a ton of auctions, but you know, we want to address that a little bit here, especially because I know that um, you like auctions. Is that right, Austin? Yeah, I, I didn't even do one until like two or three years ago, and now that's like all I want to do. I mean, I understand they're way harder to come across and all that kind of stuff. So I generally, you know, I'll settle for a snake draft if I have to. But yeah, I, I think they're just it just allows for so much more customization, and you know if I want to overpay a little bit for a guy that I want, then I should be allowed to do that. Okay. <laughs> that is my God given right <laughs> for being born and living here in the USA that I should be able to have whatever player I want. <laughs> I mean, Hey, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to try and take away and infringe upon your rights as an American here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, with, with the auction strategies and with it being something that you are, uh, you, you tend to prefer, do you have a specific strategy that you like to use in an auction startup? Yeah. And I think it's scary. Like my, my strategy is scary for people that don't do them or have never done them or just like generally are scared of taking a risk like that. Um, but I like to go studs and duds and I especially like to do it in a C2C startup with the NFL side of things. I think studs and duds is the way to go because I can specifically craft my team's where, you know, I leave a hole or two open and then I just select some guys in college I can slide right into it the next year. Um, I think that's, you know, kind of my preferred, but even in just, you know, a regular dynasty startup, you know, I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll studs and duds. I'll get a big name quarterback. Um, and actually, I usually don't get Mahomes. Mahomes is like two is like prohibitively expensive. Yeah. But, you know, I can get I can go out and I can get Dak and you know, another like top 10 guy. And then, you know, one, one really good running back, one really good wide receiver. And then I trust myself enough to go out and kind of pick and choose what else I want. The nice thing about studs and duds too, is that, you know, if it's draft picks after the, you know, every year for rookie after that, if I draft a crappy team, then I just have the one one the following year. You know what I mean? Like, and there's not like, it's not like I, um, you know, bought into some of those, those middle fodder guys that, 
like those are hard to cut bait from, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting, you know, Christian Kirk weekend or week out, you know, like I don't have a problem getting rid of his, his butt. So, um, I, I like, I, I just think it makes a lot of sense to do it that way. And, but you, you do have to have a little bit of trust in yourself. You've done, I mean, we did that auction together with that. I mean, it was a 96 teamer. So yeah, a little, you know, a little atypical with eight copies of guys, but yeah, you, did you, you like that? I mean, your team wasn't very good. So maybe you didn't. Oof. Oh, that hurts a little bit. I lost Saquon Barkley at the beginning of the year, so I kind of decided to blow it up a little bit um, just because of the way that that league was set up was so unique. And like you said, it's 96 teams and eight copies of each. It's a Pokemon league, and there's um, 12 different regions or eight different regions um, of 12 teams. So, you know, that's where the eight copies comes in. But it's everybody's like kind of thrown together a little bit um but it's still mostly stick within the division but you can have overlap of players and it was just it was a mess but it was a lot of fun um i didn't particularly know what um what i was doing with that one because i'd never been in a copy league that large before so it was definitely unique with like how much each copy was going for and how to value it and when to wait and everything like that so that was just a whole nother animal, but I do like auctions in general. And just for anybody who doesn't know, when Austin has mentioned studs and duds, that's the approach where you pay up for a couple top tier guys, and then you just fill out the rest of your bo- bottom roster with high upside players, which like you alluded to, that can be really successful at the very beginning. Or sometimes if you miss on a couple of the back end ones and you have a guy like Saquon Barkley go down, you may end up with a, a bad team. Um, but then you just try to rebuild right away. So that's actually, if I'm doing an auction, that's kind of the approach that I go with as well. Because I'm similar to you where I, like, I trust myself to be able to rebuild a team if I need to. And like you said, those middle tier guys, I mean, you can kind of acquire a Christian Kirk whenever you want after the draft. So it's not like... You know, it's not like it's going to be you're going to feel bad that you missed out on a on a guy like that or or a guy like Darius Slayton. You know, you're not going to feel bad for missing out on those guys. But if you look at your team and your team's filled with Darius Slayton's and Christian Kirk's, you're going to be like, oh, man, I want to go out and get DeAndre Hopkins now. Well, good luck with that, because you don't really have the assets. It's always easier to trade a stud for pieces for depth pieces if you need rather than trade depth pieces for a stud. So that's why I like to go that studs and duds route as well. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like that league you were just talking about, you know, there's all, there's going to be a buyer, you know, if you're trying to dump, you know, whoever you have, there's, you know, as some, one of the other 95 teams is going to want what you're selling and probably be willing to pay your price. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll move off of auction drafts just because I know that's a little bit more niche. Um, And we'll move into the traditional snake drafts uh, kind of a thing. So with the snake draft, you know, there's a lot of varying strategies that people like to implement there. And with the snake draft, I typically like to pick towards the back half of, you know, the first round with the back half of the round there. And I don't like to be at the turns uh, just because that can get, you know, because then you, you may have to reach on a guy where you're like, well, I really want this guy, but I know he's definitely not going to be around. I have to take him now. Or you know, you want to get ahead of a certain run of a position of players, and you're like, I need to reach on one now before I potentially lose out. So that's why I like to draft in the back half. So 
I probably like to stick around like the nine, 10 spot. Cause I think you could still get a really good player in the first round. And then you get another really good player on the back half, uh, you know, in the top half of the second as it snakes back around. Uh, but with the snake draft, is there any position that you particularly like to draft for any reasons? So I'm going to say this and it's going to sound really, really stupid. And everyone's going to like, totally question why they listen to me at all on this podcast. I literally go into startup drafts, especially NFL side with literally zero strategy. Every single time I literally will never have a strategy because I think like, I don't do enough. So first off, like I, I, I know there are people out there that will do like 70 mock drafts in an off season to like nail down like their one spot. And then they'll like, you know, perfect it so much. I think that A, that takes so much fun out of a draft. But I think that B, more than anything, like it doesn't take that much for one of those mocks to just go completely sideways. And so I don't find it that useful necessarily to to have a strategy going into it. I mean, obviously, I'm going to take the best player available. You know, they're going to try to take the best player available and draft good players and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I don't go into a draft like looking to trade back or looking to trade up. Or, you know, load up on running back or zero running back or like I I just don't go into a draft with really any strategy at all. It's kind of subscribe to the Kane Facel models, hashtag draft studs. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I've been I you know, I am his he's my uh or what is it? Like I'm his protege, you know. I'm (laughs) I learn a little more every every day when he when he posts something. So (laughs) yeah, no, I'm with you there. I like to be flexible for sure as well. Um, I, I kind of go in with a rough outline of a strategy. Um, you know, I'm just not treating it like the wild west where I'm just, you know, kind of figuring it out on the fly. And I, I like to have a rough strategy with, okay, I know where my draft spot is. You know, like I said, I like to draft towards the back half in that nine, 10 spot, you know, so now I know we're here. I know kind of who I'm going to expect to be roughly around there. So I kind of formulate a rough plan, but obviously you have to be adaptable. If you see a guy dropping, you have to be ready to jump up and pounce on this player that you like a lot that's that's falling down the board for some reason. At the same time, if there's nobody on the board that you like, you know, you have to be ready to try and trade back if you can. So is there any specific uh, way that you like to handle trades in a draft? I know you said you don't like to go in and pigeonhole yourself into, I need to trade up or I need to trade back, but you know, just generally speaking, are you more of a trade up guy or a trade back guy? I actually, I actually really also don't really like to trade that much in startups, <laughs> unless it's like you're moving like a little itty bitty bit, like a pick or two. Um, because you know, once I once I start getting within four or five picks of myself, you know, I kind of sit there and I say, okay, like you know, one of these guys, one of you know, one of these four is going to be available. I'll take whatever one of those four. I generally don't like to really move back a spot or two and then miss out on all four of those guys and be like, oh crap, you know, I try to get try to get smart and and uh, you know game game it a little bit and then somebody took you know exactly who I wanted or whatever. Um, I do think that there is something to be said about you know people. I think the common you know, whatever is you trade back in drafts now to the point where I think it's almost impossible to really do it. At least, you know, any significant benefit to yourself. I think you're almost just better off. Like, yeah, like you're not necessarily better off trading up, but I think you're almost just better off sitting still and kind of letting the, the chaos happen around you and, and just kind of grabbing your guys, you know, the guys that come to you in that scenario. Cause I think the first, from what I've seen, I haven't done a startup yet this offseason, but it seems like the first, you know, after rounds like two or three or whatever, like rounds four through seven or four through eight seem deeper than they have been in the past. 
Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not pushing necessarily to get any one or two guys out of that, that, um, that range where it was in years past, maybe I would have been. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. I think the middle rounds here are a lot deeper, um, than they have been before, especially with wide receivers. Cause like I touched on earlier, I have Kenny Galladay as my wide receiver 29, but honestly, if he's my wide receiver one, if I had him paired with Odell Beckham, who's my wide receiver 33, if I have those two as my wide receivers, I'm fine with that, provided the rest of my team is rock solid. Like I think it would be if you waited on the to get your wide receiver 29 and your wide receiver 33. So I think I'm with you there with the depth. Um, I think the only thing that throws a wrench into the plans as far as trading back, because I'm definitely with you there that everybody seems to want to trade back now. Nobody is like the, I want to trade up guy. I mean, you always have somebody who's like, oh, my guy's falling. I need to trade up and get him. So you could, you know, potentially look to move back there. And, you know, but oh, as a whole, it seems like the industry is trade back, trade back, trade back. And I think the only thing that throws a wrench into that is when you have guys who do the productive struggle method, which again, for anybody who doesn't really know what the productive struggle is, that's where in year one, you kind of tank and you don't really, you know, you're not really trying to win year one. You're trying to set yourself up for potentially year two, year three. You're trying to build a really strong base for the future where, you know, maybe you take your first you trade back out of the out of your first spot at the one five in the first, and you trade back to maybe like one eight, and you pick up a future rookie pick to do that. And then, you know, you kind of do something similar in the second round. And then as you start to get into those middle rounds, people are trading back and trading out of those picks altogether, trying to acquire as many young studs and rookie picks as possible. So that way they have the one one in you know, that following rookie draft and they can get, if you did it last year, you can get Trevor Lawrence this year. You know, if you do it this off season and you're looking to do that for next year, you can get Sam Howell or Spencer Rattler at the one, one, and you can kind of build your team that way with young studs looking with an eye to the future. So I think when somebody follows that approach, I think you can find some good value trading up. So I, I have a question here for you. Um, and it's something that I, again, I, because, so, so this is a campus to Canton podcast, you know, right. and we're kind of generally geared that way. Do you, um, cause the college draft usually goes first, you know, you, there are some alternate setups where, you know, they go simultaneously or, you know, like you do like a round or two of one, you do the round two of the other and you kind of go back and forth. I've seen both of those. But, you know, presuming that you draft a college team first, are you worried? Like, do you care, worry or shape your NFL team around at all what you did on the college side? A little bit um, in that if I, on the college side, I had, it, it, you know, we run in the C2, we're running these C2C mocks right now. Um, you know, let's say it's a C2C startup and I have a top four pick and I'm getting one of those top four QBs in Howell, Rattler, DJU, or Bryce Young. I'm getting one of those top four guys, um, you know, I'm going to keep that in mind on the NFL side and, you know, I, maybe I don't go after, you know, the guys like Russ, Russell Wilson, or maybe the guys like Lamar, Josh Allen, or maybe I kind of like let those guys go by and I'll snag a guy if the value looks right. Um, but I, I'll also wait a little bit longer for QB on the NFL side. So, 
in that sense, I'll shape it a little bit in if I have guys coming up that I feel really confident in on at a certain position, I may look to pivot a little bit to a different position on the NFL side with an eye that, okay, I'm going to have this guy coming up very soon. That's fair. Um, I kind of do the same thing. I mean, yeah, I, you know, it, it's a factor, but it's not the, uh, you know, it's not everything when making the decision. So, right. And I think you and I are of a similar mindset in C2C where like we want to win on the college side as well, because I think that that's something that can get lost at times. I think not everybody follows that same approach. So, you know, you can win on the NFL side. And if I'm looking to, or I mean, on the college side, and if I'm looking to win on the college side, you know, maybe I take a guy like, you know, Malik Willis or Dustin Crum, who's going to put up a ton of points, but maybe not be the best NFL prospect. You know, if I'm looking like my campus side is looking a little bit more like that, then maybe I take a guy, maybe I take two of my top 15 quarterbacks. I'll, I'll take two of them early as opposed to that. So I do kind of let the draft come to me a little bit on the NFL side and shape it a little bit. Uh, but typically I'm with you where I'm just kind of more looking for value. Yeah. Um, so we'll move into um, our something to do with ranking section here, um, which is literally just how I have it titled on the show sheet. But um, we'll spend a little bit of time here just briefly touching on our top 10 players uh, at each position. Uh, and then we'll kind of move into some undervalued guys. You can look to get later on in your startups um, that you know you might see, might see a fairly decent rise in value or they may be like, just really good value for you on that side. Um, so to start out, uh, my top 10 quarterbacks, um, I have Mahomes, I have Watson, like I mentioned earlier, I have Dak at three, I have Kyler Murray at four, uh, Josh Allen at five, Lamar Jackson six, Russell Wilson seven, Trevor Lawrence at eight, because we're assuming this is a startup, uh, not a rookie draft at all. Um, and then you got Justin Fields at nine and Joe Burrow at 10. You have any particular guy there that stands out to you, or you want to chat about for a second, or no, not really. Um, I would say Watson at two, um, because but I know you're you're of a similar mindset there. Um, so I think the only guy that's I don't want to say significantly different, but the only guy that's that's different there. I have Josh Allen a good bit lower than consensus at five. I see a lot of people who have him at you know two or three. Um, so. I'll let you talk a little bit about your rankings because I know you have them higher than mine. But with Josh Allen, I, I I'm probably always going to be a little bit lower than everybody else on him, and maybe that's a little bit of confirmation bias. And uh, you know, but I I don't know. I just I need to see it a little bit more with him um, on the pro side. I mean, he had one extremely productive year this year, but you know, lightning strikes once. I mean, let's see, let me see it strike again. No, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I guess I have Allen a little bit higher. I have him three, and I actually like Dak more than him. My, I just think it might take Dak a little bit of time to um, to come back from the ankle. Um, and I like I think there's a pretty big gap after one and two, personally. Um, yeah, I think Deshaun Watson is not quite the asset that Patrick Mahomes is, but I think we've seen that he's pretty much situation proof at this point. Which you know, there's quite a bit of value to be had in that. Um, and Allen. You know, yeah, I mean, I think he's fine. I think the people that are saying that he's QB2 are kind of a little nuts, to be honest. Um, it's the same thing with Lamar Jackson last year where we just get so excited to crown the next guy that 
Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Deshaun Watson finishes no better than QB four every year. But if, you know, if he finishes QB four to QB six every single year, there's a lot of value to be had in finishing his QB four to QB six every year. You know, you go into the year knowing what you have where, you know, Lamar Jackson was what QB 12 this year, QB 11 or something like that. Like, and now his value is like in the toilet compared to where it was a year ago. So, um, you know, I think that Deshaun Watson is a very obvious second quarterback overall. And I, I saw someone there today saying that they like that, that someone took Josh Allen at the one Oh two in a startup. And I was like, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like a fairly prominent, like Twitter person. I was like, that's no, no, don't do that. That's not smart. Yeah. I I mean, I'm with you there with Alan. Like I said, I need to see it a little bit more. Um, We've seen Deshaun Watson's pretty much situation proof. Dak Prescott has just annually been in the top 10, you know, he was on that torrid pace this past year, which, you know, maybe it takes him a little bit to come back from the ankle. Maybe it's, you know, maybe he never quite recaptures that, you know, insane pace he was on this year, but I think he's also a very safe option. And I think that, you know, you and I are both of a similar mindset where we are both a little bit more risk adverse. We like a little bit of a safer floor if we're going to invest that kind of capital into a guy. Um, so why don't you just quickly touch on your top 10 here uh, and then we'll just move into the, my I'll into the running backs. Sure. Yeah. So my top 10, I don't think they're very controversial at all. I have Mahomes one, Watson two, <clears throat> Josh Allen three. Dak Prescott, four, Lamar, five, Kyler, six, Justin Herbert, seven, uh, Russell Wilson, eight, Trevor Lawrence, nine, Justin Fields, 10, Joe Burrow, 11, and Baker Mayfield, 12. Actually, I, I kind of like Baker. Um, and I think um, on <clears throat> on Debbie Debate, Felix was talking about how, you know, I think we forget about how some of these guys need a couple of years to develop. And I think that's what Baker needed. And I think it's, um, you know, rocket ship emoji for Baker Mayfield here coming up over the next few years. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah as a Pittsburgh fan, that has to suck uh, to say, um, especially with how the rest of the Cleveland team looked this past year. Um, I like Baker. Um, I have him as my QB 14. So like, I'm not significantly lower on you than, than him, but um, I am a good bit lower on Herbert than you are. So what, and I know you're a big Russell Wilson guy. So what makes you put Herbert over Wilson? Yeah, I think I'm still a little bit. I still have Herbert ranked a little more conservatively than some people do. I mean, I've seen I've seen him as like QB four. Yeah. Um, I still need to see another year from him before I'd be willing to elevate him that high. I don't know. He just he's young. He's in. You know, I think they they have the flexibility to put a lot of stuff around him there, and you know, the deep ball sells for fantasy. You know, maybe the Chargers are never that good with him there, but or whatever. Um, but. The deep ball, you know, if you connect on a couple of those a game and one of them's a touchdown, you know, that's that's some some easy, easy yardage and easy points. And I think, you know, they're very Mahomes might be the only guy that's really better and possibly um, Russ. They're really the only guys that I think are probably better deep throwers than him right now in the league. I mean, I think he's that level of a deep thrower. You know, I yeah. still do question. Um, I want to see him take a little more command of the short and intermediate game. But, but I think he's got the they got the deep stuff on lockdown right now. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you got to put Josh Allen in that group too. But all four of those guys, you know, it's it's splitting hairs as far as how good they are, um, you know. So we'll, uh, like I said, I have him, I have him at twelve, um, and I like I like Herbert. I, I'm with you though. I just need to see it another time, uh, another year of it before I move him up. Because, like I said, I'm a little bit slower to move guys at times. 
Um, so we'll just we'll move into the running backs here. Um, and I'll take uh, you know, my my first 10 guys here first. I'll run through them quick here. I got CMC at the one one, which I don't think is anything controversial. Um, Barkley at two, uh, Alvin Kamara at three, Dalvin Cook at four, uh, DeAndre Swift at five, and Jonathan Taylor at six. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, 7, Cam Akers, 8, Aaron Jones, 9, and Miles Sanders, 10. Then um, I don't think there's anything really earth-shattering there in our top 10, and I don't think you're going to see anything earth-shattering in any of our top 10s through the whole time here. But, um, you know, I think the biggest standout is the group of rookies right there in the middle. Um, five, six, seven, eight for me. I have a hard time separating those four guys. Um, so I think you have uh, those four guys similarly in your top 10 as well. Is that right? Yeah, I do. Really, the only differences I was looking at between our two rankings, um, I'm much lower on Aaron Jones. I just think, you know, shelf life of the running back in the NFL is not that long. And if he's not tethered to Aaron Rodgers, I think that's like his most like that's his best trait, right? Like not to undersell Aaron Jones. He's a really good player. But I think that's most players like, you know, most valuable trait if they're on the Packers is that they're they're tethered to Aaron Rodgers. So uh, there's not really any shame in that. Um, so I think his his value takes a dip, assuming he leaves this offseason. And then I have Nick Chubb seven. And you have him 13. And I do realize that he's splitting touches there a little bit. But he's just another case of he's extremely consistent. He's extremely good. And he's on a run first team. Like, I think even if Baker gets really, really good, I don't think that team is necessarily going to be passed first, at least for a few more years, you know, and Chubb has a few more years left. Um, so I think, you know, he's got, I, I, I really, really like Nick Chubb. You know, I've always liked Nick Chubb. I was disappointed when he went to the Browns because it's, um, I have to read for him in secret, you know, like, <laughs> like I can't even, I say it internally, you know, like I'm like, yay, yeah, Nick Chubb, like in, in my head, but I can't, you know can't sit there and get excited about watching him score touchdowns or anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you there. I like, um, I like Chubb. Um, I do, I do. It's just that the biggest thing for me is, I mean, he, like you said with Kareem hunt, he's splitting touches there and yeah, he can still be a very productive RB one, um, which that's why I have him at running back 13, but you know, you have to worry about hunt taking some of that significant and impactful, uh, at least from a fantasy standpoint, you know, passing game work. I mean, that's, we want guys who handle a lot of the passing game work. At least I do personally. I mean, you're going to see a common theme out of my top 10 guys where they handle a lot of passing game work. And I just, I question Nick Chubb enough on that front with Hunt there that it puts him just outside of my top 12. But I won't fault anybody for having him as high as seven. I think you have a very valid point there. Um, and then that's uh, transitions into why I like Aaron Jones a little bit more than you is because I think I like his passing game work. Uh, where, as we touched on earlier, I think he goes somewhere else, but you know, I think he can still be very, very productive, at least in a passing game role. He can, at worst, I think he's going to be a one, a one B kind of a situation where he's at. And, you know, I think that I like, I, I I don't think he's as landing spot dependent. Definitely his, a lot of his values tied to Aaron Rodgers, but I think he's going to be fine, especially if he ends up in a place like Miami, like we touched on earlier. Um, and we'll move into uh, wide receivers here. 
my top 10, again, nothing really earth shattering here. I have Devonte Adams at one Tyreek Hill two, AJ Brown, three, Justin Jefferson, four, uh, Deandre Hopkins, five, uh, Chris Godwin, six, Michael Thomas, seven, uh, Stefan Diggs, eight crying emoji, um, DK Metcalf nine and CD lamb at 10. Um, and I think yours are pretty similar, correct? Yes. Um, with this wide receiver, I think is the one where we really don't have that many differences. I think the only difference I have between you, like the big one is DeAndre Hopkins, who I have at 12. And it was really, really hard ranking him there because I really, really like D-Hop. And I think, uh, you know, I, I've kind of had him in a couple leagues for a long time. So, it, But it, it's getting toward the end of the time for him. I don't know how well he ages necessarily. And there's just so much good young talent. Like, you know, if he like, it's just so hard to say that you would rather take a guy who has like three years left over like a CD Lamb who probably has like eight or ten. You know, even if Lamb is like marginally worse for the next whatever many years, you know, at some point that just has to start becoming a consideration. So um, I, that's the only guy that jumps out to me that I, I think is really different between between ours looking here. And actually, we have a lot of them like basically the same. So. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have a lot of guys the same and that's a pretty common theme on this show is we, we do tend to think pretty similarly where as it's a little bit different than your other show, Debbie debate, where it's, you know, a little bit more of a debate, like the rankings that you guys broke down earlier in the week. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that I, I like him and I think that he's a little bit older, but I think that that's, I don't, I think that's fine. I think he still has a very high ceiling. So um, I'm not too worried about that, but uh, we'll move quickly here into the tight ends and um, tight ends kind of a wasteland after the top two, after you or top three uh, where you have Travis Kelsey, one George Kittle, two Darren Waller, three. And I have Kyle Pitts at four because I think he has an extremely high ceiling. And I think you see a lot of people who are really high on him um, like I am as well, but you know, it, it's definitely more of a risk there. Then I got TJ Hawkinson at five. Um, and Mark Andrews at six, Noah Fant at seven, Johnny Smith at eight, Dallas Goddard at nine, and Pat Fryermuth there at 10. Um, and that's going to be a little bit of a landing spot dependent. I could see him dropping down a spot or two, but I really like uh, Pat Fryermuth's uh, overall skill set and I like his ceiling. And, you know, outside of the top 10 tight ends there, it's just it's kind of a wasteland, like I mentioned. So, um, why, who, is there anybody, there's not really anybody that stands out that we have too different drastically. Uh, but what are your top 10 guys? Yeah. So there really aren't any, I think the only real different guy is Pitts, who I have a little bit lower than you. I have Kelsey Kittle Waller, just like you did one, two, three. I have Hawkinson four. I have Noah Fant five. I'm still very much a Noah Fant believer. I think, you know, I, the people have soured on him a little bit, but that offense as a whole last year wasn't particularly product, productive through the air, and he was a little bit banged up. So I I, I still think, you know, he's, he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. I think he's really affordable in a lot of leagues. Like, you know, I I, I would rather have him than Kyle Pitts to be completely honest, because I've seen Noah Fant on a professional football field before. Like I'm not, I, I agree with the sentiment that Kyle Pitts is a, a, a tight end one as soon as he enters the NFL. And I have him at seven overall, I believe in my rankings here. Yes. But like, I see people say he's like a top five tight end or like a top tight, top three tight end. And that, that's just, that's just, that's in, it's insane in my opinion. 
um, letting anybody who's never touched a professional football field be that high in rankings is how you, you no matter how sure you are, is how you burn yourself, to be honest. And all it takes is one time for somebody burning you like that to having, you know, learned your lesson. Um, so I just caution people to maybe pump the brakes a little bit on that particular hype train. Yeah, no, I mean, you thank, thanks for the cold shower. Appreciate that. Sometimes you need that. Um, but I, I just think he has such a sky high ceiling that I'm willing to slot him in at the four spot. And it's not, he's not comfortably ahead of TJ Hawkinson. Like that's the type of a thing that's going to keep me up at night. You know, um, I'll roll around and I'll think, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson, who do I like more? Pitts this week, Hawkinson next week. So those guys are very close. I think I settled on Pitts having a high, being ahead of Hawkinson, though, just because of the ceiling. Um, and then the only other guy in your top 10 that I didn't have in mind was Hunter Henry. And I think Hunter Henry's fine. Um, you know, I think he's a very safe option. Um, he just doesn't excite me at all. So I have him uh, at 14, which might be a little bit low. Um, but you know, he just, like I said, he doesn't really excite me. So he doesn't, he's not a difference maker at all. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll move into the last little bit here and that's just a, an under uh, some undervalued guys. And I mean, that's where you, you can kind of make your money at times. Um, and, and the undervalued guy that I have first here is, is running back, uh, it's DJ Dallas, um, for Seattle. And obviously this is kind of contingent on Chris Carson leaving, but, I think Chris Carson is probably going to leave. Um, I think that, you know, Seattle has DJ Dallas there for a reason. They have Travis Homer. They, they, they've shown that they, you know, they missed on Penny, who's also still there. So they have another stable of backs. They don't really need another running back. And I don't know if they necessarily want to pay another running back. I think, I don't know how much money Chris Carson's going to get on the open market, but I think it's probably going to be a little bit more than he could get in Seattle. So, you know, now I want the running back that Seattle has as their starter because, you know, like we've seen Russ cooks for a little bit and then they kind of want to go back to pounding the ball. So, you know, I want the running back there. And I think that DJ Dallas is kind of going under the radar right now. So he's a guy that you can get late that can turn into a high end RB two. Um, you know, so uh, he's definitely a guy that I'll be targeting in startups here. Um, is there any specific player that stands out in your mind of guys that's just pretty significantly undervalued right now? I think the whole Denver offense is undervalued a little bit right now. Um, it's hard for me to pick one of them because I think, you know, you have a kind of a guy in every range. You have a Cortland Sutton that's probably a little underrated, depending on how he comes back. You know, obviously missed last year and out of sight, out of mind. I think Jerry Judy's a little bit underrated. Obviously, you know, his stats were buffered a little bit by the last game of last year, but as a rookie to get almost a thousand yards receiving is still really, really good. And I think people are, you know, um, underselling him a little bit at this point. I think, you know, if, if, um, sorry, um, if, oh, what's his name? Not, Lord, not, not Melvin Gordon. Oh, Lindsay. I don't know why I can't think of that. I was thinking Penny. <laughs> if Lindsay leaves, I think Melvin Gordon has a nice year next year. You know, maybe he only has a year or two left, but I think still value wise, you know, if he's, he's valued as like a you know, low twenties running back and a startup, you know, there's value to be had there. I like I just said with fans, I think fans undervalued, you know, I don't think a lot of people have him at five. I think they have him a little bit lower. So I think he's a really good value. I think they're lower rated wide receivers, you know, who are Tim Patrick or KJ Hamler becomes wide receiver three there is probably pretty undervalued and i don't even necessarily love those guys i just think you know you look at 
value where a lot of people have him, you know, in the nineties or whatever as for wide, wide receivers. And I think that's a, that's a great value. If drew Locke can get it together, or if they go out and get a quarterback to kind of bring that whole thing together, that's a dangerous potent offense in my opinion. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. I mean, when we were talking landing spots for Stafford, you know, a couple of weeks ago, that was that was a guy that that was a place I wanted to see him go because I'm with you. I like that entire offense. Um, you know, so I think you're right. All of those guys are undervalued right now. You know, finally one of your cop-out answers pays off and you hit, you know, five guys in one answer. So, you know, look at me go. Look at me go. <laughs> You're really coming into your own here. Uh, I'm really glad that you're, uh, you know, you're finally stepping up and you're finally learning. Like a beautiful, <laughs> like a beautiful flower. I'm, I, you know, I'm in full bloom right now. I'll have to, I'll have to thank uh, Kane Fassell, um since you're his protege. Taught me everything I know. <laughs> um, so I think that'll that'll do it here for today's show. Um, you know, we we kind of talked a little bit a, a little bit longer at the beginning about franchise tag guys than what you know we necessarily anticipated so but we have plenty of time in the offseason here to touch on some undervalued guys if we need to um you know that's one of the beautiful things about the offseason is uh you know there's never a shortage of things that to talk about especially when we do shows twice a week so you know we'll be good to we'll, we'll t- circle back around to some of those guys here a little bit later um only other thing that I have, uh, you know, wrap up the show wise here is just be on the lookout for a big announcement coming from us. I know I've teased it before on Monday. Uh, on Monday, yes. I, I know I've teased it before. I know I've said it before. So, but this is coming on Monday. We have heard back from the state of Pennsylvania, so this is officially dropping on Monday. Keep an eye out for that. We will have a big announcement that day. It's gonna be so fun. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on here before we wrap it up? No, just please rate, review the show. Um, you know, continue to grow this thing. And because um, we like doing it and we just want, you know, as many people to hear us as we can get. I clearly like the sound of my own voice. So the more love that we get here, the more that I get to talk into a microphone. Yeah. And, you know, so. Colin uh, doesn't get a lot of attention at home. So any, you know, whatever he can get on here is appreciated. By, by him i don't get out of the apartment much with, with working from home now I, I really don't you know this is my social interaction talking to talking to you and talking to everybody else and obviously my my wonderful girlfriend as well who is in the other room and would kill me if i didn't say that gun to my head no <laughs> um, no i appreciate you guys here sticking with us like i said i know i've been teasing we've been teasing this big news for a while but it's finally coming stay tuned for that uh, but thanks for joining us on the show today. Uh, as always, I'm Colin. And I'm Austin. And we'll talk to you guys later.